Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Tim Sridharan, and I'm one of the interim co-lead pastors here at First Alliance starting to use my glasses more. They say when you turn 40, your eyesight starts to go, and I can testify to that. It's only months ago that I turned 40, and it's already going. Um, it's great to have the kids here. It's great to see everyone here. Newcomers, welcome. Whether this is your first time here, online, or in person, we are just thankful to have you. And we're going to actually begin, as we always begin, church, with a trivia question, because that's how we always start here. For those online at home, feel free to put your answers right in the chat box. But I'm, Reza is going to fire a picture up here on the screen. This is an idiom. And you can just yell out, what is this English idiom? Pot calling the kettle black. Excellent. Thank you, Dennis. <laughs> I, I love that image because it's, it's just it's priceless. It's an, image that, it's, a, it's an idiom that we use in North America to describe what? Hypocrisy. Something that's black and dirty that says to something else that's black and dirty, hey, you're black and dirty without realizing they are in the same state or same position. I one time learned the Chinese equivalent of this is the soldiers who retreated 50 steps laughed at, at, laughed at the soldiers who retreated 100 steps. You know, it's, it's that classic case of hypocrisy. We don't even see uh, our own gaps in our own thinking and understanding. I think it's fair to say that hypocrisy, this pot calling the kettle black, is not, it's a cross-cultural problem, and it's a universal problem. And let me share you an example from my life. My kids were supposed to be here today, but uh, one of them just is kind of getting over the last bits of a cold, so we kept them at home. But one of the rules that we have in our house, and we have a two and a four and a five-year-old little boy, one of the rules is, when you come in the house, do not wear your shoes in the house. Why? Because when they come into the house, they trek mud and everything everywhere all over the house. So my boys will come into the room. I'm like, hey, take your shoes off before you get something. And what they'll do is, okay, I need to get my water bottle. And they'll get on their knees and crawl, keeping their boots like up in the air, making sure their feet don't touch the ground. And, and you know, if they forget their water bottle or something else, they find ways to make sure their feet don't touch the ground. Do you know what the one exemption to this rule is? Or who gets exempted from this rule? Me. When I'm late or I've forgotten something, I walk into the house and I'm like, my kids can't see me. I just march right into the, into the other room, grab my phone. I grab a milk bottle or something that we need to grab to go. And as, in my mind, my thinking is, as long as my kids don't see me, this is okay. And you know what? I set a moral code or a standard for my kids, and I can't even keep it myself. Classic case of pot calling the kettle black. And here's the danger of me sharing this. My kids, if you're wise, this is what you should do. Things stay on YouTube forever. So when you're 16 and you need leverage against me, this is the sermon you want to pull back up. But the reality is I can't live my life like this. What happens is I need to change, and I need to live by my own moral code. But let's be honest, that can be really difficult sometimes. You know, the idea of the pot calling the kettle black hypocrisy, we see it all over society. We see it in, in church leaders who say, don't do this or do this, and they do the exact opposite. We see it in our politicians. We see it in our celebrities. And today, as we continue in the book of Romans, I hope we'll see the dangers of hypocrisy 
and how it easily creeps into the life of the church. Yet I hope you will also see the good news of God and how it brings us back to Christ through repentance. So if you have your Bibles, whether on your phone or in front of you, feel free to open up to Romans chapter 2. And we'd love for you to just keep your Bible open there. We'd love to let you see for yourself that this isn't just what I'm saying, but this is what God's word is for us. So let me read our text, pray for us, and then we'll continue in our sermon for the day. If you're new, you can also grab one of those blue Bibles in front of you and turn to page 912 in the racks in front of you. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgments against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, come and just be with our time today as we look at your beautiful words that you have given us through the Apostle Paul. Help us, Holy Spirit, to see the face of Jesus. Help us to see that repentance and turning to you is not something we should fear or be anxious about, but it is something joy-filled and life-giving. It is reconciliation, it is healing, and it is wonder. So help us to understand the good news of the gospel and the call that you are placing on our life today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When we open our Bibles to Romans chapter 2, verse 1, the first two words, what are they? You, therefore. We have to ask ourselves, who is the you in this context? And, what is, and therefore refers to what was spoken beforehand. If you look at chapter 2 all through that text, you'll see the word you, 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 and you'll see it come up in chapter 2, verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God. Who the Apostle Paul is talking to here are those from Jewish descent who are beginning to follow in the ways of Jesus. This is the church in Rome which would have had a mix of Jewish believers, Jewish followers of Christ, and those of Roman descent and other ethnicities who were following in the way of Jesus. It's interesting to note if we look at the previous text, chapter one from last week, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to that sermon, I encourage you, hop on our podcast, our website, 
or YouTube and just catch up on that great uh, sermon from last week that Pastor Andrew preached. Last week, and you look at chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, it's continually using the phrase, they. And the they there is simply the Romans. And see, the Romans or the culture of that time would have been this, this people very different than the Jewish people. See, the Romans of that time, when we use the word libertines to describe this culture, and in many ways, it's actually quite reflective of our present society. It's kind of an anything goes. Sexuality was open. There was temple prostitution between men and women. There was high levels of greed. The Roman culture would have had, you know, the murder for sport at the amphitheaters. This is a culture that was violent. And it kind of like some of our common phrases today, kind of the you do you, be free, you know, make sure there's no limits around yourself, especially in regard to sexuality, would have really summed up the Roman culture of the time. This is what we call libertines, and we'll come back to this through the series, the idea of like having liberty being free to do whatever you want to do. Yet in today's text, chapter 2, he's switching his focus to the, those of Jewish descent who are following in the ways of Jesus. You know, the Jewish Christians would have looked at the Roman culture of that time with disgust. They would have said, hey, we have a superior moral code. We have our ethics. We have the law of, we have the law of Moses and we are way better than you. We would never succumb to the way, that the, uh, to the things that the Romans do. They lived, in their opinion, by a superior moral code. Yet here's the thing. Those of Jewish descent who followed in the way of Jesus, they also struggled with sin. It just was a different type of sin. You know, those of Jewish descent would have, would have known, like, we, we are obedient to the law of Moses. We adhere to the traditions of Abraham. We have, you know, and they wouldn't have realized it, but their hypocrisy or their, their pot calling the kettle black is simply they had a cultural pride and an arrogance and a judgment and a looking down upon other cultures with the assumption that they had it figured out. They understood the way to God better than others did. But they were blind to their own failures. You know, if we think of our modern culture, we do the same thing. Some of our values in, in the West here at this present time are things like we want to be inclusive, we are free-thinking, we're rational, we're open-minded, we are an evidence-based society. Yet what so subtly happens or slowly happens is this becomes our moral code that we live by. And if others don't live by that code, they are not as superior. And we judge them and we look down at them. Well... They're not as inclusive. They're not as rational or evidence-based in their approaches to life. You know, it's interesting. Even the church does this too. We, we create a moral code that we think this is the most important things, and we live by them, and we judge others who don't live by them. In the West, one of the things the church has often done is that because the Western church has been very individualistic in its history, it sees things like religious piety, like my personal relationship with God and personal sin as more important to stay away from than corporate sin. You know, the church in the West over the last hundred years has really looked down upon sexual sin, but it often fails to call out the evils of, you know, capitalism, consumerism, and, you know, God's call for us to care for the earth, our creation mandate. Just like with me, hypocrisy is a problem of all cultures, all peoples. And the scriptures teach us that no sin is worse than another, although there will be different consequences. Yet, here's the challenge. If we all 
struggle, if we all live by this superior moral code and we, we judge others and think better, others, we are better than others, what do we do? It seems like we have a real problem here. If you have your Bibles, look at Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. I think we need to explore the idea of repentance. And now, I know I say that and people will be like, oh, repentance, oh, the people are talking about sin again and repentance and the church has such a negative view of the world and it's always talking about these things over and over again. Yet here is one of the things. I think repentance is actually a joy-filled act. I think repentance is actually one of the greatest uh, ways towards reconciliation and healing and truth. So let me read us verse 4 and 5, and then I want to unpack three points for us today. Chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. I just want to highlight three things in regards to repentance. As we look through scripture today, I hope we see that repentance is a positive thing. I hope we see that repentance is, keeps us from having a hard heart. And repentance is God's gift to humanity. You know, often... I hate, I hate admitting my wrongs, you know, like, it is, it, it's not an easy thing to do. If you think about families with broken relationships and pain between, you know, a father and a son, when a father is on his deathbed, and if his last words are, son, I'm sorry for the way I treated you this way or that way, that can provide healing for years of hurts and pains. You know, some people just live for that moment, like maybe my dad or my mom, maybe the person who had a th power over me will finally just say sorry. And that's the beginning of a healing journey. You know, if you think of post-World War II or atrocities, you think of South Africa and, um, and the healing that happened there, some of the greatest steps towards healing and reconciliation came from what? People repenting. People admitting their wrongs. People Genuinely, not a political uh, to appease, but a genuine apology, an omission of wrongdoing, was often the first step in healing and reconciliation. You know, if I was going to go back to that example of my kids and the shoes, and here's the reality, my kids are at home so they can hear this. If I don't repent, let me ask this question. What happens if I don't repent of my wrong? My kids will see my hypocrisy, and they see my hypocrisy, and they'll call me out on it. My kids, uh, maybe they won't say anything, but what they'll do is they'll lose respect for me. When I don't repent of my wrongdoing, of my hypocrisy, the reality is I start to lose my ability to influence. I lose my ability to point others toward Jesus because people see the hypocrisy in my life and move away from it. Here's the question, what happens when we do repent? When I repent, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I feel like it's humbling. It's a humbling thing to get before a five-year-old kid and be like, you know what, Caleb, I'm sorry, you had this right and I had this wrong. 
And sometimes it can feel embarrassing depending on the context, if it's at work or with a friend or with someone you feel like is unloving and unkind. But when I choose to repent, it's the first step in healing. It's the first step in reconciliation. It's the first step that pushes us back into relationship. And that's what repentance in so many ways is. It's about a reconciliation and rest restoration of relationship. You know, a parent apologizing to a kid, a kid apologizing to a parent, what does it do? It pushes them back toward each other in relationship. When people don't repent, there's often a wedge that slowly drifts them apart, that destroys relationships years down the road. The reality is when I choose to repent, I'm choosing the way of Jesus. And when I choose not to repent, I'm choosing my way. Repentance is this positive thing that restores our relationships with the God of the universe and with his other, with the people he has created in his image. It's a beautiful gift that brings restoration and healing. Secondly, repentance keeps us from having a hard heart. I think our culture is obsessed with anti-aging. We buy all these things, you know, tuck them under your eye. Uh, try to look as young as possible for as long as possible, right? Here's my greatest anti-aging solution. Repentance. Just hang with me here. You're like, what is he talking about? Just think of the people in your life, and as they get older, those who admit their wrongs, they confess to others, they tend to be people who have soft hearts. They're gentle and kind to others. They're caring, they're loving, they're warm. And as they get older, they become actually more approachable. What happens to those who don't admit their wrongs? Well, it, it creates a bitterness. It stores up anger, becomes grumpy. They become spite-filled people. And here's the scariest thing about an unrepentant heart. As people create a pattern of not repenting, not admitting their wrongs, they become more stubborn, and they actually stop seeing reality clearly. That's a terrifying reality. Unforgiving people don't think straight because they're rationalizing and making every excuse under the sun not to admit that they were wrong and humble themselves before God and before others. They become bitter, grumpy, angry, Here's the beauty, repentance. It helps us age well. It's actually part of our sanctification journey. Repentance and continually turning back to God and continually confessing our wrongs in front of others grows us deeper into the heart of God. It softens us, it moves us closer, it makes us more like Jesus each and every day. In verse seven and eight of that text, it simply says, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. You know, repentance and non-repentant hearts are kind of set in two different trajectories. One towards the rich, abundant life with Jesus on this earth and eternal life as a gift that he gives us. And the other one is a slow walk away from the God who created this universe and has invited us into an eternal relationship with him. Finally, repentance is God's gift to humanity. We see this in verse 11. God does not play favorites. 
for God does not show favoritism. This whole idea of first to the Jew, then to the Gentile is more temporal. It is God, uh, you know, bringing, working through the Israelites and then offering salvation to all people through the death and resurrection of Jesus. One of the gifts that he's given us, no matter what culture, what background, where we come from, who we are, what our history is, the wrongs that we've done, repentance is available to all. No matter how bad it is. Some of you might be saying, oh, Tim, like, you don't even understand how bad my life is. There's no way that God would love me. Here's the reality and the beauty of Scripture and the beauty of our God is that He will and He invites you back to Himself continually because this is the good news of the Gospel. The God who created us and created this world and created us in His image, when we chose to turn our backs on Him and reject Him, in his great love, what did he do? He pursued humanity. He made a way by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that through his death and resurrection, those who place their faith in Jesus can, can experience the abundant life of Christ now and eternal life with him forever. Amen? And this is a gift that's just not available to those in the church, to those in the West. This is a gift for all people throughout all of time. The question that we are asking in this series, and if you are in a small group, you'll probably see this in the small group material every week. But as we explore Romans, the question we ask every week is, how is this good news? Well, this is good news because repentance is a gift offered to all that draws us back into relationship with the God of the universe and humanity as well. Just a few questions for us today as I wrap up our time. If repentance is a gift, my question to you is, do you see it that way? Have you grown up in a church tradition or have you grown up thinking repentance is something to be avoided? You try everything, you try your hardest to avoid losing face. And maybe, do we act upon it? And as you're you're sitting at home, whether you're here joining with us in person, are there ways that God is just speaking to you right now? calling you to repent before him or before others. Just take a moment and just listen to his voice and even write that down, what that might be. My second question from the text today is, this is a hard one to ask of others, but are there ways that you have hardened your heart? Are, are, is there ways that you're callous? To, is there a certain person you're callous toward? A certain, certain boss, a certain neighbor that, that you do not have a, a loving and warm heart toward? You know, a great test of a hard heart is what? Ask the people around you. Ask your spouse, ask your kids, ask your parents. And, and if you're a part of a small group or a group here at First Alliance, that's, talk to your small group and ask them those questions as well. Are there ways that God is calling you to repent before him or others today? And in what ways do you sense that you may have a hard heart that you need to confess to him? Now I realize some of us may be terrified to repent. And I think in many ways we have a hard time repenting because we don't know who we're repenting in front of. We're terrified, we're fearful of God. We think he's against us, he's going to condemn us, he's going to put us down. But if you think about 
Luke chapter 15, which is the story of the prodigal son. And I encourage you, if you've ever read the book, if you haven't read it, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. It's just a wonderful book about the heart of the gospel. Here's a son who disrespects his father, asks for his inheritance before his dad is dead. Basically, in that culture, that was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead and you could just give me the money right now. He leaves his father's home. He travels somewhere else. He spends that money wildly. He eventually ends up in front of like working on a pig farm, which in Jewish culture could be the worst possible thing to do, longing to eat what the pigs eat. Finally comes to the end and says, you know what? Even my dad's servants do better than me here on this farm. And he returns back to his father. And as he returns to his father, you know what? Me as an earthly dad, I think there would be a part of me that is excited to have my kid back, but a part of me would be angry. This is a kid who disrespected me. This is a kid who didn't take advantage of all the blessings he was giving. It would be easy to be angry toward that child. But the father in the story, who represents our God, what does he do? He sees that son coming from a distance. And he runs towards him. He holds out his hands, he embraces him, he welcomes him back. He brings him home and he throws him a party. The beauty of our God is that he's not vindictive. He's not angry. and He's not against us, even though we feel that sometimes. He's a God who's for us and wants the best for us. And the way he invites all of humanity back to himself is through repentance. So I ask again, what are the ways that God is calling you to repent before him and others? I encourage you this week to spend some time reflecting upon that, sharing that with your small group, and allowing the Spirit of God to draw you back into deeper relationship with the God of the universe through the death and resurrection of Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I cry out to you I can't even live by the moral standard I create for myself. But thanks be to you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. I acknowledge that there is nothing I can do to make myself right before a holy God. But because of what Jesus has done for us, there is hope. So Lord, I pray for all of us, whatever is on our heart, whatever you're calling us to repent and turn back to you, whether to repent before others or repent before you, come, Holy Spirit, give us the courage to do it. Give us the courage to be brave and admit our wrongs. Give us the strength to humble ourselves and help us be people who see repentance not as something to be feared, but something that brings true joy and true hope in our relationship with you and our relationship with others. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.